0: your host, Dr. Christine Schaffner, and today I give you a sneak peek from the Art and Science of Cultivating Coherence Summit. This is an interview I did with Dr. Roland McCready. We're both co-hosting this summit, and it's the summit I'm most proud of to date. It is a journey from thinking about heart maths, heart-brain coherence, and how to cultivate an emotional state to generate heart-brain coherence to... A journey through quantum biology and how to work with light and sound and water to consciousness and group and collective consciousness and how this theme and principle of coherence, this alignment and order and harmony that we can cultivate within us and communicate around us is really what I'm very excited to share and educate and teach. And so Dr. Roland McCready has dedicated his research life to the study of coherence. He is very excited about his work between heart math and this development of heart-brain coherence and this development of cardio-electromagnetic coherence between each other. We also have a deep and profound symmetry and relationship to the magnetic field lines of Mother Earth. We impact Mother Earth and Mother Earth impacts us. And the more that we're in sync, the more health and healing and alignment and really an amazing impact we can have on group and global consciousness which is really beautiful and Dr. McCready is also studying the coherence and the fields around trees. He lives in the redwoods. So that's really exciting. And he's also taking over Dr. Roger Nelson's global consciousness project at HeartMath. And so we take a journey through all of this. And if you want to check out the art and science of cultivating coherence, please check out the link in the show notes. It airs live on October 30th. You can watch it for free. Once you sign up, you'll get an ebook on how to create Lymph and blood flow to help allow this coherence that you generate through your heart and your brain to kind of withstand within your body and have a benefit in your whole body. And you also get, you know, the interviews right away from Eileen McCusick and Dr. Catherine Clinton and Greg Braden. So please check it out. You won't be disappointed and we hope to see you at the summit. Enjoy the interview. Welcome everyone to the Art and Science of Cultivating Coherence Summit. I'm your co-host, Dr. Christine Schaffner, and I am thrilled to interview our co-host, Dr. Roland McCready. And before we dive in a little bit about Dr. McCready, he is the Director of Research of the HeartMath Research Center at the HeartMath Institute, and he's a psychophysiologist, and his research really includes the physiology of the emotion heart-brain communication, as well as the global interconnectivity between people and Earth's energetic systems. And there's a lot more accolades that I could share with you about Dr. McCready, but I just really want you to know Dr. McCready's research and really his wisdom is a big inspiration behind the summit that we're having. So welcome, Roland, it's great to interview you.
1: Well, thanks, Christine. Of course, it's fun to interview each other for our own summit.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, we're both doing this, you know, beginning question. And I want to, of course, at, you know, start with this for you. You know, what does coherence mean to you really at your current, you know, inner knowing of experience from where we are today?
1: Wow. I should have a good answer to that because I've asked all the people I've interviewed that same question. <laughs> um, no, it, it coherence occurs on multiple scales and levels, I, I think we could say. But let's start with a broad sense, because of course, there's the everyday use of coherence in our language, you know, that Mm -hmm. if you look it up in the dictionary, coherence is something that can happen at many different levels and scales. But let me start with a kind of the broader definition of what coherence means. Uh, If you look it up in the dictionary, the first definition is almost always about the quality of someone's speech, Mm -hmm. writing. So hopefully you and I will be able to put our words together in a way that conveys a coherent meaning. Mm-hmm. Right. And if I'm uttering nonsense, you would say I'm. In- yeah. yeah. So,
0: mm-hmm.
1: But, it, and it's, you know, it's really kind of similar in physics and science and coherence is a concept that is used from the very small subatomic to the universe mm-hmm. and everything in between coherence is talked about and used to describe the behavior of systems. So within that co- a coherent system, we can talk about lots of things like synchronization. Entrainment, mm-hmm. resonance, you know, and these types of terms are all embraced under that larger term of coherence. And mm-hmm. uh, we mm-hmm. can talk about that in terms of our systems and then how does that lead to us being able to. So, if our inner systems, you know, the activity going on in our brain and our nervous system isn't coherent, we cannot have a coherent conversation or a coherent thought mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. or coherently navigate the world. Mm-hmm. Right. So then we can also talk about coherence and we do talk about coherence. So That's one scale, individual, personal, and everything that's going on in our bodies across all the scales to be a coherent living system. Mm-hmm. But then we, we can talk about and do and measure coherence in our social world, in our families, mm-hmm. in our work teams, in our communities, mm-hmm. in how coherent are the relations and amongst the individuals in that family or that team, or doesn't matter a community. Mm-hmm. You know, are they harmonious are they connected do mm-hmm. we stable do we have a higher level output
0: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: Coherent group.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: and we also look at coherence between humanity i would say and the earth itself and the energetic systems of earth and how coherent are we as a global family mm-hmm. those are Thought that might help to give an up
0: Yeah, yeah. I love how you laid that out in the different layers, you know, that we can tune into in this conversation. And, you know, I was just marinating over that a coherent system is always kind of like greater than the, you know, some of its parts. It creates a greater wholeness. And I, I was just thinking of that. And you know, how that relates to, you know, my perspective, I'm always thinking of, you know, the body and health and how people can feel better. So that just sat with me for a moment. when You know, this is why we're talking about coherence, right? You know, something bigger than ourselves. So let's start with um, heart-brain coherence. So this is a term that, you know, shared more often, probably I'm sure in your career, you've seen there's more knowledge of this concept, but probably not the depth of knowledge that we want to um Sharon you've done a lot of research right on the connection between the heart and the brain so why don't we just start with you know really maybe just the defining heart brain coherence and especially with where your research lies today
1: as far as I know that whole concept came out of our work in in our lab yeah yeah
0: yeah
1: to, to answer that I need to back up one step and let's talk about heart coherence first It used to be thought, and as you know, uh, Christine, that a sign of a healthy system was a steady heart rate, Mm -hmm. you know, the heartbeat, like a metrodome, right? Used to talk about that. Well, that's pretty ancient knowledge in modern terms, 30 years ago. (laughs) It's absolutely wrong. Mm -hmm. No, in a healthy person, our heart rate is always changing with each and every heartbeat. Right. That's what's called heart rate variability. So the time between each consecutive pair of heartbeats is always varying. It's always changing that gives rise to the heart rhythm. Mm-hmm. Most people have heard of the heart rhythm or that we have a heart rhythm. Mm-hmm. The reality that the heart's rhythm is always changing up and down in these different patterns. And our early work going back into the early 1990s, uh, when we were studying the physiology of emotion and we were kind of ahead of the, well, actually quite a few years ahead of the curve of what's now called positive psychology.
0: Mm-hmm. So at
1: that time, if you looked in the literature, which I did, of course, medical Mm -hmm. literature published papers and all that there were very few publications where people had looked at the what's the physiological correlates Mm -hmm. to positive emotions Mm -hmm. appreciation compassion love kindness these types of things Mm -hmm. thousands on stress and depression and anxiety and
0: yeah
1: (laughs) all of it so we were looking at well what happens in our body when we're feeling good Mm -hmm. you know, you walk out the door and you have that sense of, oh God, what a beautiful day! Yeah, yeah. You know? yeah. Well, that you're feeling appreciation, although you may not think that or say that to yourself. You know, mm-hmm. what happens in our physiology? Well, what? Long story short, we found, and we were measuring, you know, brain waves and blood pressure and all all the stuff you tend to measure around emotions. Mm-hmm. That it was the heart and the, and more particularly the heart rhythm that was the most reflective of our emotional states mm. and when we were feeling what i now call regenerative emotions for a reason they regenerate our energy instead of depleting our energy like kindness and love and compassion and appreciation gratitude so on that our heart rhythm flipped into a completely different pattern and mode
0: mm, that's
1: wow. what we now call heart coherence
0: mm-hmm.
1: it's a sine wave kind of pattern and, and developed technology that people can measure that and how coherent they are to train Mm -hmm. themselves to be more coherent. And there are over 500 independent studies now where people built on that work to teach people how to become more coherent in their day-to-day life. Far too many to list here, but a lot of benefits for our health and wellness and cognitive functions, being able to think clearly and Mm -hmm. perform better in athletic sports and the list goes on. Now to get to to your heart-brain coherence question. So first we have to have heart rhythm coherence. A lot of people don't know and this, what I'm about to say is not a new discovery since the late 1800s. Mm-hmm. And that is that the heart sends far more information to our nervous system to the brain than the brain sends to the heart. Mm-hmm. Now, in the 1970s, a particular research group, um, the Lacy's they were called, introduced two terms to describe what they were seeing. They were also psychophysiologists of how the, we'll just call it the quality of the heart rhythm, the patterns, kind mm-hmm. or incoherent in today's language, was affecting brain function. And they introduced two terms back then, long before I came along uh, doing this work, to describe the effects heart was having on brain. So, What first was called cortical, cortex, you know, the top layers of our brain that we get paid to go to work for. Yeah. (laughs) Is it inhibited? We can't think clearly. We're in the fog, right? Or we're making Mm -hmm. poor decisions. Reaction times are impaired. Coordination, these types of things, when we're in that cortically-inhibited state. We now know, by the way, that it's when we're in that erratic, or incoherent heart rhythm pattern that leads to cortical inhibition. Other term they coined was cortical facilitation, mm. right? Brain works better, right? We are able to take those pauses before reacting mm-hmm. types of things, faster reaction times, better coordination, etc. cetera. Mm-hmm. So that has to do with heart. Now we now know they didn't know this at the time. Well, a lot of things they didn't know back then when one was at the heart actually has its own intrinsic Brain called the intrinsic cardiac nervous system. Even then, by the way, in their data, somehow the heart knew before the brain what the brain's next function had to be or would be, to, and either facilitated that or rejected certain types of things. Um, they didn't talk much about that, but it was in their data.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Wow! In, fa- in fact, reading their papers of that era, they they were u- literally using terms in their research papers. The heart is acting as though it has a mind of its own. We don't know know what it does, but they didn't know that then. They didn't know about the cardiac cardiac, nervous system. Mm -hmm. So, when we talk about getting the heart and brain in sync, we can talk about it on a couple of levels. Let's start with physiological, you Mm -hmm. know, basic physiology. So, right now, when we're just sitting here talking, there's a certain ratio of our neural brain activity, you know, like alpha rhythms and theta rhythms and these these Mm -hmm. different uh, frequencies. That are synchronized to the heart. Mm-hmm. That's natural. Or it's always going on. In fact, if we don't have that, we're in trouble. Now, when we're in a heart coherent state, that synchronized activity between brainwave activity and the heart rhythms and the heartbeats is significantly increased. That is related to increased global neural synchronization in our brain. Why aren't we perform better? Mm-hmm. We're able to think clearer, but especially. The areas in our frontal part of our brain, the frontal, prefrontal cortex. Let me just say this to complete this story. One of my mentors, a guy named Carl that's why I knew mm-hmm. Dr. Prebram's work, he hung out here. And most of what I know about the brain, really know about the brain, I learned from him, to, have to be mm-hmm. honest here. So, but what Carl suggested, the way I think about the frontal areas of our brain, is what they do, what they give us functionally mm-hmm. is foresight. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. the ability to understand how our thoughts emotions and behaviors and the actions we take in the present are going to affect the future yes right that's something our beloved pets you know don't have right they have great memory Mm -hmm. but they Mm -hmm. don't have the capacity to so so what this gives us is the ability to plan set goals discriminate appropriate behavior. Not a good idea to hit your boss if you want to keep your job, right? Right. You know, so self-regulation comes out of this. Our capacity to understand that and self-regulate, right? So abstract thinking, all these types of things are under that rubric of foresight. A lot of labs were involved in sorting out all these mechanisms, heart, brain, communication. But at the end of the day, it's really simple. So those, the neural machinery, we'll call it, those neural centers that underlie those abilities, foresight and all that have to have their activity has to be well synchronized to perform optimally so when we're in that incoherent state because it's a system we have to always remember
0: mm-hmm.
1: it's incoherence across the whole system so wow. those are the systems that get inhibited mm-hmm. is, i can say this two ways christina the physiology
0: mm-hmm.
1: say it kind of direct first of why when we get angry we can say and do stupid things
0: yes <laughs> now, a more awesome.
1: polite yeah a more polite way would be you know, and even in a very intelligent individual, when they're emotionally upset, can make poor choices. Yes. Right. So mm-hmm. same thing, just said different ways.
0: Yeah.
1: How do we get the heart and brain in sync? Well, we get the heart coherent, dramatically increases heart brain synchronization. But then there's also the emotional component of this as well. Emotional composure, emotional stability, which kind of but right on top of the physiological aspects of it. Mm-hmm. Being, so when we say we're able to to navigate, could be a traffic jam, a, a meeting, a family dinner, whatever with more coherence and composure, it just really means we're able to be stable emotionally. Yes. Overly reacting, triggered and adding significance and drama to all the little things that don't really matter and mm-hmm. really not more centered.
0: Every time I learn and hear about this, it just fascinates me because you know our focus a lot is uh you know often on the brain right and i see a lot of like neurological illnesses and people who have insomnia, to brain fog, to maybe neuropathy, to different motor functioning, and, you know, so forth. And every time you share this with me, I, I you know, it's so interesting that we were, it's almost like we got to look here, of course, in the brain, but it's almost a distraction if we're not including the heart, especially with the, you know, innervation going more, you know, from the heart to the brain than the brain to the heart. I think there's just a lot more to unpack in the medical setting. So I I don't know if your research, that anything you'd like to share around how you've even seen maybe impaired neurological states improve with more heart-brain coherence. You've shared emotionally, of course, but I'm just curious.
1: So almost all the research we do with a clinical population is in partnership with Someone else. else, yeah, either a university or a clinic or something that specializes in that. And the you, you kind of alluded to this already, Christine, that we have to think system, not brain or heart in isolation, yeah, nervous system or gut, or because they're yeah. all interconnected systems that have to work together coherently,
0: mm-hmm.
1: a healthy living system. And when we're in a coherent state, is kind of I remember I talked about in the uh, high level definition of coherence and implies energy efficiency
0: yes mm-hmm.
1: so we want to get, physiologically be increase our coherence to have more energy now mm-hmm. that's energy that can then go towards the body's natural regenerative processes
0: yes yes
1: and we waste so much energy people tend to especially in the emotional domain so true if uh, people would be shocked if they had a computer printout at the end of the day of the energy utilization. Adding the significance and the, the mismanage of, of emotional energy, which is what drives the activity in our, our brain, our nervous system, our hormonal systems, and, and so on. So, some really neat studies have just happened that you may or may not be aware of. One of the, the people who's kind of gotten on to the importance of the what heart sends to brain, you know, from yeah. the systems perspective is Mara Mather at yeah. USC.
0: Yeah. A
1: really high level research group. And they've mm-hmm. published. Well, three studies in the last year. The, the, the last one was by teaching people how to get in into heart coherence, and they did this over four weeks. They actually used one of the HRV coherence biofeedback technologies that our partner organization that makes called Mway Pro. Mm-hmm. It's more than professional. You probably got one of those. Uh, by having people just practice heart focused breathing and, and getting breathing themselves into coherence for, like I think twenty minutes a day for four weeks, significantly reduced TA levels, blood plasma tau, and beta amyloid plasma, the main biomarkers for Alzheimer's disease. Wow, and wow. True in both older and younger populations. A major kind of importance of getting the heart and brain in sync, right?
0: Yeah, and that makes sense, right? If you're getting, you know, more efficient, you know, communication, energy, so the brain can clear those things. Um, so it-
1: yeah, it's facilitating what in her language the, the the brain's clearance systems, which I know you you're. Very I was lucky. gonna
0: say the lymphatic system is clearly working better.
1: In this case, it's not the lymphatic system, itself, yeah. but it does tie eventually tie into the- lymphatic. Yeah, and she also published just a few months before that study, using the same protocol, using fMRI, that there was a significant increase in the neural connectivity between the frontal cortex and the subcortical regions. Oh, so the self-regulation circuit. Yeah. So, yeah. but it's bottom up, right? It's by changing the activity of the heart, we're rewiring the brain.
0: That's, yeah, incredible. And, you know, in my sphere, there's a lot of conversation to help people with regulating their emotions and their trauma around limbic retraining. So a lot about just, you know, okay, how can they yeah, move past some trauma that's stored in the limbic system? And you can't exclude the heart from that conversation well, right? not
1: only can you not exclude it it's critical
0: yeah
1: and so myra's my Myra, studies showing showing the, the how the brain can majorly wire itself through fmris but let's go back to one of the things i also learned from dr prebrum yeah it actually took me a while to if i'm honest to get on to what he was trying to tell me and he, he was a regular here he visited for a week or two every year and we wow. traveled a lot together and we're actually quite good friends So. People who may not know Carl, he he was literally one of the first neurosurgeons that ever existed,
0: Uh
1: ever. I mean, you know, and through his entire career of, you know, being the head of brain research at Stanford and retired from there and then went on to do more research and was actually teaching until he passed in in his early 90s. But one of Carl's passions was really trying to understand emotion. Mm. You know, and in fact you know things so things we take for granted these days came from his work like we call the executive functions right with the brain my brain he's the one who coined that term
0: yeah wild yeah
1: Map, mapping out the limbic system that was his work yeah After yeah perception theory on and on the list goes and a lot of that he did in an effort to really understand how do we experience emotions
0: mm-hmm.
1: so of course he was probably to this day would probably knows more about the amygdalas and the surgery about our amygdalas than anybody and ever to, i would say to this day still yeah and let I me mean, just say one thing that used to really frustrate him mm-hmm. so I'd, I'd read some new paper or new book on the brain and you know carl would be visiting and say yeah carl look like check this out and he'd read a little bit of it and throw it in the trash can yes <laughs> yeah. Carl, Carl, Carl. Yeah. Oh, yeah. oh yeah, he was—he was my student back in uh, the nineteen, you know, sixty so, and here's where he went wrong. And yeah, yeah, his, yeah. His pet peeves was when people would call the amygdala the fear center.
0: Oh, yeah.
1: Because it's just not true. What the amygdala does functionally is determine what is familiar and not familiar. Mm-hmm. Okay, mm-hmm. and it's different parts of it are doing that from the body's internal systems, what we call interception. Mm-hmm heart rate variability patterns, breathing rhythms, all these types of things. And another part's doing it from the external systems. What mm-hmm. we see, hear, smell, right? Yeah. So to determine familiar or not familiar, it has to have a reference. You can think of this as an implicit unconscious memory. Dr. Kapribram calls them the stable baseline reference pattern that we're always comparing the now to. And is there a match or mismatch, familiar or not familiar? Yeah.
0: Yeah.
1: Right the brain yeah. wants a match yeah <laughs> that's when we feel comfortable yes so what happens if let's I'm going to pick on anxiety because I have a personal story of one of my grandmothers here that were as little kids worried about us constantly if she wasn't worried about everything and everything we were doing it, she yeah. would, her world wasn't caring
0: yeah
1: you know and it took and we see this into it's not just about worry this is anything and everything right, that we perceive. So if you worry enough, that becomes your baseline reference, mm-hmm. the familiar that we're comparing to. So we, we generate worry to have a match to feel comfortable. Right. And that's the essence of a, what would, we would now call a maladapted reference pattern. Right. So, I mean, it's, I'm picking on worry, but it could be your quick to anger and the line at the grocery store or, you know, on and on it goes you know, or we see somebody's face and we don't like them because we don't know the amygdala that was a familiar match to somebody we've probably forgotten about in grade school who was a bully.
0: Right, right.
1: Right. That mm-hmm. match it associates. And you know, this is, I'm kind of rounding this off to the depth of what this discussion deserves. But
0: yeah, yeah.
1: What he, here's the point, what he actually, he proved this in the laboratory that the only way to establish or change the familiar baseline reference was to change the activity of the heart of the body, especially of the heart. Wow! Now, you can't think yourself into a new baseline, not directly anyway. This is so important for psychology to finally get onto, right? Yes. There, you not only can you not change it by just thinking, not, not directly. There is no such thing as sustained growth or change without changing that reference pattern. Yeah that we're matching everything to and everything we perceive is based on that mismatch or mismatch, familiar, or not familiar process. Mm. So these simple techniques, heart-focused breathing, freeze frame, these techniques that are shifting our rhythm into coherence, that's going directly to the amygdala. In fact, the core nucleus, the cells in the core nucleus of the amygdala, there's two of them, of course, are synchronized to the heartbeat. So whatever the heart rhythm pattern is, is, exactly the pattern that is going to the amygdala that it's doing this comparing to, comparing the now to the reference to. Yeah. So when we're able to just practice being in coherence, even a few minutes a day for a long enough period, that's resets our baseline. And then that's when you don't have to do so much work. It becomes easy and automatic. And it's when this becomes transformational in people's lives. Mm-hmm. So that's helping recover from an illness, being able to be more composed.
0: Mm-hmm. That's like a big aha for a lot of people who are listening. And it's beautiful because I, I think... Especially if you're somebody who's desiring change in your own life or a new story, or you're a practitioner out there who are trying to facilitate change and you keep on, you know, bumping up to like the same old familiar patterns. Yeah. This could be a whole another avenue, you know, to really facilitate uh, change within your patients.
1: So understanding that mechanism, which I yes. oversimplified a bit here today. Of course, it, of course. But it basically got the essence explains a lot of things why yes. we don't like change, especially unexpected change. It is one of the biggest stressors there are for people. This is the mechanism and why people keep repeating the patterns. same loops over yeah. and over through life.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Probably things that we experienced early in life or yeah. So it's the re- often repeated patterns that form the baseline. Another rapid way to, to to form a baseline is is a traumatic event that hits the brain hard with a lot of emotion, so that will form a strong inner reference as well.
0: Yeah,
1: but yeah. The, the same answer. How are we going to? How do we release the the trauma, unconscious memories, implicit memories? Well, it's through coherence training.
0: Yeah, it's beautiful. I mean, it's a beautiful conversation, and it's always a beautiful reflection about. You know really how we are almost you know wired to heal right and you know i mean how how did how did
1: humanity survive the millions of years that you know at least thousands of years that we've been roaming around before we had medicine and doctors and yeah we're we're an incredible self-healing system yes very intelligent
0: Yeah, no, definitely. And I I feel this is a good, you know, kind of segue into this concept of, you know, what you've shared with me called the energetic heart. So we've been talking about, you know, really the physical heart and the nervous system within the heart and all of that. But there's like another intelligence. And so can you just share maybe Um, your understanding of the energetic heart?
1: Sure. I'm going to take my science hat off for part of this.
0: Yeah. Um, Yeah.
1: But it's and talk about my own experience and many others as well. One of the things we hear so often from people who've learned the coherence practices, you know, how we maintain our coherence. And we really focus on how do we shift into coherence throughout the day. And now it's great to go meditate before you go to work or at the end of the day and but what about all that time in between? Right. <laughs> you know, I have, you know I'm back many years ago before I, I was a long-term meditator and actually got a degree in consciousness studies. This is after right. I was, a, well, my first career was systems engineering, electronic engineering from Motorola. Anyway, so I've been meditating for years and actually had a degree in consciousness studies. Yeah. Uh-huh. And it started a company, you know, high-tech kind of uh, electronics type company very successful. And I could have a great meditation in the morning and fly around the universe and you know, whip energy yeah. through the chakras and all this stuff. And by the time I got to work, I was frustrated and walking in, probably yelling at somebody because yeah. of the traffic jams. And so it didn't really, it helped. Don't, don't get me wrong. And I'm not down on meditation. It's an important thing to do, but, and still do a different type of meditation now, but it didn't necessarily transfer into in the moment self-regulation. Mm -hmm. navigating the challenges of the day. So a lot of our focus is in that that realm of how do we do that? How do we flow through non-flowing situations? One of the things that we often hear and and for years and still true today from people when they learn these skills is that first thing that they typically say is my intuition is like on steroids. Mm -hmm. It's not subtle, right? Mm -hmm. There's an intuitive guidance system that comes online. And Mm -hmm. then the second thing typically is and synchronicities have become a way of life. Mm. I, I can testify that I expect them and I appreciate them, and it is true. So now there are many of our own, the, the founders of HeartMath. I'm one of along help, Childry, the long that helped Doc Childre, the founder, founded. Had spent a number of years really practicing these skills and developing that intuitive connection, and I'll say to who we really are, you know, our larger self. And then we were hearing this from so many people, so we figured out some ways to bring that into the lab and actually measure uh, what i call non-local intuition and uh, that's mm-hmm. a different topic there's really three types of intuition that's good to sort out before we go too much down that route mm-hmm. but i'll make a, a long story short there's, these are very rigorous you know lab studies of electrodes on people's heads and electrocardiogram and skin conductance yeah people are sitting at a computer and they see a picture but before they see the picture we're recording all the physiological data and there's no way they can possibly guess what the future picture is going to be. A lot of processes go in to make sure that can't happen. And yeah selected and without going in it's all published for people I want to go into details. Yeah. What we found, long story short, was that the heart was the first to get the intuitive information mm. measurably. would shift, would send a measurably different neural signal to the brain response all before the future event or picture in this case. Then you get a body response, where it becomes a conscious feeling if you're paying attention. Mm. The gut feeling, the hair on the back of the neck. So the gut gets the credit, but it's really heart, brain, body, then conscious. Yeah. Yeah. And if people, we run through these protocols several times, if they were in a heart-coherent state before they went into the experiment, that intuitive channel between the heart and the brain right to the frontal cortex was significantly different, more opened up.
0: Wow. Wow.
1: Right. So the way I got that published, and this, I know this is a long answer to your question. No, keep going. Was mm-hmm. that this is in the late 90s to say that the heart appears to have access to a field of information outside the boundaries of time and space. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. A perfectly acceptable language for a peer reviewed scientific paper. Yes. At that time, because remember, this is the, the 90s. Yeah. Um, things like non-locality, it had been experimentally proven and you know entanglement, and these types of things. Yeah. At that time, it was only supposed to be subatomic particles,
0: yeah. electrons
1: and photons and so on. Now that's been blown way past since then. scopic scales, and you know warmer things and stuff. But anyway, that's kind of how I left it at that time. And I would often ask people, well, what is a field of information outside the boundaries of time and space? And here are all kinds of things. but what I really mean is it's, our larger self, Mm. our higher self, our spirit, our soul, whatever language you might have in your culture. But by by the way, this is another side note, it's interesting uh, surveys of the world's population, Mm -hmm. 90% of people on earth believe that there is some type of higher and guiding intelligence.
0: Wow. Wow. Not
1: necessarily God as a white haired man up there or something. Right.
0: right. Yeah. That's hopeful.
1: 90 percent 90 percent yeah now, it's actually a little bit lower in the united states but overall worldwide. makes
0: sense yeah and about
1: half of the scientific community so yeah. what i'm suggesting here is that we really do have we just call it a larger self instead of higher mm-hmm. self which is a kind of a new age term to take it out of religion and these kind of concepts to say no we really do have part is what david baum called our undivided wholeness mm-hmm. right the, the right. energetic part of ourselves
0: mm-hmm.
1: Right. Mm-hmm. That exists in another, the way I think is, I think in terms, in terms of levels or dimensions of density.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: Like I can knock on the table, that's a dimension of density, right? Right. A emotion right. Of thought an intuition, that's another level of density that you can't put under a microscope. So we really do have an energetic system and we can talk about different levels. Some people are calling that the biofield these days. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. Emotions, are. that's really very much part of an emotional experience is what happens at the energetic level. Right. Even before the biochemical and the nervous system changes. Right. You can actually learn to get more onto that. That's the bigger work and game in terms of of self-awareness, is getting more onto the subtleties of, of that first. Yeah. Anyway, so what I'm suggesting here is that there we we have two hearts. Mm-hmm. Physical heart, that we can put under a microscope and put electrodes in and measure, but we also have what has been called, and we didn't invent this term, the energetic heart. It's also been called the spiritual heart in for millennia. Right. Um, right. Just, I'm suggesting, Christine, it's real. This is not a metaphor. Yeah. It's actual, it has real structure, and it, it just exists at the, at the energetic level. And it's the bridge between our larger self and our level of density we live in here on Earth. So when you talk to your deeper self, who are you talking to anyway? Right. It is that connection through the energetic heart. So it's the energetic heart is ultimately kind of the blueprint for our form here on in Earth and humanity, you know, being human, it has an energetic connection with the DNA, all the DNA and all the cells. It, it is the blueprint for who we are. Remember who we are across time. Stability, right, in a coherent system. Right. This is one of the big surprises. Another sidetrack here: mapping the human genome.
0: Right. right. Right.
1: Where's the missing information? It was way too much coding information to, you know.
0: Yeah. Totally, and there was there has to be another explanation.
1: One one of my good friends actually, who's very famous, you you may not know, him Carlo Ventura.
0: Um, I've read one of his papers. I don't know.
1: Okay, so yeah, he's a cardiologist. Um,
0: paper, yeah, that he that goes around.
1: He's a practicing cardiologist, but also a molecular biologist and stem (laughs) cell engineer. Mm -hmm. I mean, he's pro. He can program stem cells just using by energetic fields to become whatever he wants them to be. Now, oh wow, and. So I met Carlo many years ago at a conference actually in Saudi Arabia. He was explaining to me how the the missing information has to be a larger self through the energetic heart. He way gets it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. that I mean, his work is fascinating and then, you know, bringing it all together and, you know, it's this portal, right? So there's layers. So like, okay, we're teaching people for like emotional regulation through coherence. And then, you know, all of a sudden there's just more order, you know, in the body, more alignment in the brain. And then you keep, you keep at this, right? This becomes a way of life. You begin to connect with this greater, larger Part of your own. Yeah, we just call
1: it heart intelligence. Yeah. So when we talk about heart intelligence, I'm not saying the muscle cells in the heart are any more yeah. intelligent than the neurons in your brain. It's kind of interesting. If you put a brain on a table in the heart, and you're like, well, which is more intelligent? Which is prettier? And a lot of people would choose the heart and didn't in ancient times. But I'm really saying it's that bridge because of the energetic heart and that bridge to our larger self, which is who mm-hmm. we really are, you know, mm-hmm. and that a lot of our experience, you know, through, through our human life or lives. Is really learning to connect with and follow our own source of deeper intuitive guidance. Mm-hmm. It's our larger self who knows what's the highest best for us, and then that, that's who we're really tuning into, even when we meditate, you know, and try and ask deeper answers. It's really our own larger self that we're mm-hmm. connecting to. Just mm-hmm. say that's via the energetic heart, not the pineal gland, or you know, or
0: mm-hmm. yeah. Type of things. Well, I mean, I feel like it, you know, in my place of where I'm tuning in from, it feels like it's a natural evolution of understanding as we realize how there's so much connectivity and organization from our own heart. Of course, you know, this, the story continues, right? It's a beautiful story. And, you know, there's a, there's like another story too, right? You know, with our connection with mother earth or, you know, the planet. And you have a whole initiative around this and beautiful research. But maybe just starting with like how we are connected to Earth's field or Earth's energy. Sure.
1: Well, let me back up one step before that, if I may. Yeah, please. Yeah. So when we put electrodes, which I'm sure you probably do regularly on somebody's chest to measure the electrocardiogram, yeah, right? It's called the electrocardiogram for a reason. We're measuring electricity. Right, right. And in this case, what the electrodes see quite literally from a physics or science perspective is current flow, flow of current. Of right. Ions, electrons flowing across that's produced by the beating heart.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Physics 101. Whenever you have a flow of electrical current, you produce a magnetic field.
0: Right.
1: Now one of the qualities of magnetic fields is they go through things. That's why cell phones work indoors. Right. 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 So, the, mag- and the electrodes don't see the magnetic field. They're different. They're right. A different device called a magnetometer.
0: Right.
1: And, but you can take a magnetometer, probe out here, anywhere around the body, and measure the heart's field,
0: mm-hmm.
1: the cardiac field. So, what we showed in our lab, you know, God, this, we did so much back in the 90s. That was a fun era. Yeah.
0: <laughs> you, were the, you were busy. You were busy. Is
1: yeah. that the heart's field, the, the magnetic field, is carrying information, mm. most certainly about our emotional state probably much more, but that for sure we can say with confidence and measured that and can decode that information. So what we feel inside doesn't stop at the skin. We are literally broadcasting that out into the the environment. environment. And uh, so the next step in that line of research was was to also show that our nervous systems are exquisitely tuned to these other biologically generated magnetic fields. Mm -hmm. We're also, so we basically went long story short, there is a Energetic communication that's always going on between people and groups of people,
0: mm-hmm.
1: you know, and yeah. we, we all know this, right? We have yeah. things in our language. The tension was so thick in that room, you could cut it with a knife, right? Yeah,
0: yeah. yeah. Or oh,
1: god, it felt good being around them, just being in their presence, right? Yes,
0: yes.
1: that's the information that our nervous system is picking up. Mm-hmm. And there's been a number of, of experiments now and studies all published that show that if, if people are coherent, it can help lift others into a more centered and coherent. Physio- even physiologically, I should. Yeah. Yeah. Not a shift. If we're pissed off and angry and we want to stay that way, you can be in a coherent field. It's not going to make any difference. But, right,
0: right. You
1: have but, to it, be- but it creates an atmosphere, an energetic atmosphere that can help lift others. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, that's local environment. Mm-hmm. So that has a lot to do with social dynamics. Right? Mm-hmm. Whether we trust someone or not, the, the depth of listening all has to do with this energetic, or very much important part of it anyway. Now you asked about Earth, so as it turns out, you know the Earth also has a magnetic field, right? We everybody knows about that. We learned about it in yeah. we probably grade school these days. The South Pole and the magnetic field, and, yeah. and thank God we have Earth has a magnetic field. Yes. <laughs> without it, we would turn into Mars very quickly. Right? Yeah. Atmosphere, no water would all be blown away by the solar wind, and and uh, there would be no protection from cosmic rays and, and these types of things that kind of burn, you know, fry us pretty quickly as well.
0: Yeah.
1: So. One of the things I didn't learn till much later in my own career, that I didn't even know this as a communication engineer, mm. is that magnetic field lines. Well, let me help ground this for people. If you think time travel back to science class back in high school, whatever it was, you dump iron filings on a glass plate and you stick the magnet under it, right? And they'd jump around and show mm-hmm. you the shape of the field, whether it's a horseshoe or a bar or whatever your magnet is. That's that's cool. But remember that those iron filings line up in parallel lines. Right. So what that really simple experiment also lets us do is visualize what are called magnetic field lines. Right. So Earth's magnetic field has them too. Think of them like guitar strings. Mm-hmm. Here's what I didn't we didn't learn back then, at least I didn't, is that you can pluck magnetic field lines and they vibrate, just like plucking a string on a guitar or any string instrument. And depending upon the length of the string and how tight or tense it is, determines its resonant frequency, the yes. note that it vibrates at. Okay. So Earth has very long field lines. Mm-hmm. Thousands, I many thousands of miles, you know, in space and back, and so they vibrate at a very low frequency. Mm-hmm. So when we measure them down on Earth with this global system we have now, for that uh, we've installed around the world to measure the resonant frequencies in the Earth's magnetic field, one of the there's a range of these low frequency vibrations, but one of the first and primary resonant frequencies in frequency language is zero point one hertz. Mm-hmm. Okay, but there's a whole range of them, and they all overlap. The rhythms that are in our cardiovascular and our nervous system, natural rhythms. Mm-hmm. But 0.1 hertz is particularly interesting because it's the, the same frequency, center of the bell curve where most of us our own internal resonant frequency is. So mm-hmm. when we're, we're in that heart coherent state, that heart that sine wave rhythmic pattern I was talking about, for most people, the center of the bell curve is 0.1 hertz.
0: Mm-hmm. Now it's going
1: to vary you know up and down depending upon where we are in that bell curve of our, our resonant frequency. Basically, when we're at heart coherent, we are the same frequency as the primary resonant frequency of Earth. Wow. Of the field line resonances. Mm. So through resonance principles, you can understand the basic physics of how it can be possible to transfer information Mm -hmm. from the fields to us and vice versa. How we can also feed into the larger field.
0: It's just beautiful, the... The symmetry and the you know the connection you know of course it's like of course we are you know connected
1: <laughs> you know yeah, I, you know on that note another one of my mentors was franz hallberg uh, mm-hmm. a lot of people may not know that name but they'll know the term circadian rhythm
0: yeah, of course yeah
1: franz, franz coined the term circadian yeah. rhythm mm-hmm. And got, what a, another one of those legends who's published thousands of papers, you know, I mean, a lot of us are happy if you can get a hundred papers in your career or, or 200, if you're really great, thousands, right? Yeah. And so he was also a regular, a, I would say a close friend as well. Franz was suggesting that we as humans and animals, which have the same basic physiological rhythms and trees and plants, we have these physi- fundamental physiological rhythms in our heart rhythms, our brain rhythms and so on because we evolved in these rhythms of earth. Mm. So yeah. we're designed to be in sync with the rhythms of the fields we live within. Mm. I think that's kind of, for most people, kind of common sense. It's pretty yeah. easy to grasp, but it's good to be in sync and in resonance with the fields we all live within.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: And there's more and more studies that are now coming out to show what to actually prove. Yeah, it's good to be in sync. Yeah. Uh, with the, the natural fields we live in. And when the earth's fields are disturbed, like the, we get hit with a solar flare, for example, yeah, is not often, but we, you know, we do, that disturbs the magnetic field of the, the earth. And there's so many studies that show, but we don't like that. Yeah. I, right? I mean, there's yeah. more hospital admissions for strokes and heart attacks. But especially mentally and emotionally, depression, sleeplessness, all these other types of things.
0: So you've done experiments, right, about this way of we're connected to these resonant frequencies of, you know, the magnetic field of Earth, one of them, and, you know, ourselves. And there's this communication happening. And so do you want to share, you know, maybe what you dreamt up with the global connection of?
1: (laughs) There's about a hundred different ways I could tackle that one. I
0: know, you get to decide.
1: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So so this is called the Global Coherence Initiative. Yes. Which is really two parts. One is the science side. So we've created, I kind of referred to this earlier, a network, a global network of super sensitive magnetometer sites specifically designed to measure these resonances in the Earth's fields. So there's the field line resonances, and there's also a thing called Schumann resonances which right. are much, much weaker, that overlap with our brainwaves frequencies. Mm-hmm. There's eight of those. Mm-hmm. Um, by the way, a lot of nonsense seems to circulate social media about every two years about human resonances changing. and Yeah. And I can tell tit- for anybody that, that falls down to that, I can assure you with great confidence, no, they are exactly the same as when they were first measured in 1959 and 1960. Yes. And we that don't want them like to a,
0: change. That should be a public service announcement.
1: Yeah. yeah. And, and we don't want them to change. Yeah. They don't reflect the consciousness of humanity. can They're completely controlled by the geometry of the earth ionosphere cavity. And if they did change, it would mean the ionosphere was changing and it would wreak havoc on a lot yeah. of living systems if, if they were changing. Mm-hmm. They change temporarily if we get hit with a solar flare, but then they come back to their natural. Yeah. Day. So the global coherence initiative, the science side is measuring that and measuring long-term recordings of people and our heart rhythms and heart rate and looking at the, interconnectivity uh, between us and the, the, the field environment we live in. And we've published a lot on that in recent years yeah. and a lot of different aspects of that. And the other important part of the global coherence initiative is really uh, bringing people together to feed the field, if you will, earth's energetic field with more love and compassion to help uh, lift the consciousness vibration of, of the planet. Cause we all mm-hmm. live within that field and we're doing research kind of around both of those things.
0: hmm it's beautiful. So just directing people to, you know, get in a coherence with each other yeah. and directing that energy to Mother Earth. And then you're measuring, you know, that.
1: Yes, yeah. so we, also have, we also have an app. Yeah, it's called the Global Coherence App that allows us to measure the coherence. It's really a neat thing because it's free. Yeah, we so yeah. can measure and get feedback on their own personal individual coherence. Mm hmm. And you can join, you can create your own group or join what we call the global group of people around the world who are there adding love and compassion to the planetary field. Give us a measure of the collective coherence of that group, whoever Mm. might be there at that time. Then we track, we call it coherence points, but it's based on our heart coherence. Mm. The last time we looked at it there, I forget now, but it it equated close to 200,000 hours of people in love and compassion to the planetary field environment. Wow. That would just, on the app, of course, there's a lot of people doing that without without the app. Yeah. And it it matters, is really my take-home message here. That's really what the science side is about, when we do add love and compassion to the field, it matters in measurable ways. Hmm. Another um, way we're looking at that, we've also, about a year ago, launched a project to measure the electrical activity of trees.
0: Mm-hmm. But okay. I'm saying
1: all living systems live within the field right? and they're going to yeah. be interconnected by it. So this gets us a probe into a, another type of living system that uh, don't mind a couple electrodes and they don't run away. And, you know,
0: yeah.
1: nice research participants. And then we're also, uh, Christine, I don't know if you know this or not, We're the the new home for what's called the Global Consciousness Project, which is really cool, and uh, I don't know how much we want to go into that, but that yeah. was a, just a, the essence of a project that was started about 25 years ago at Princeton University uh, by, oh, yeah. by Roger, Doctor Roger Nelson.
0: Yeah.
1: And he's retired twice. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> this, this time he really did sold his yeah. house to Princeton and moved. And a couple of years ago, he asked if we would take that project over and. I resisted, but he said, no, I tried giving him all these other suggestions. He goes, no, Roland, you're the only institute that I trust.
0: (laughs) That's big. That's really big. Yeah, it's quite an
1: honor. So we've completely rebuilt and redesigned that system and network, new devices that make it really easy for people to participate if they want to become a citizen scientist and host one of these random number generators. It's a global network of devices. And the reason that this is significant, it's the very best thing out there that I know of. Um, or we'd be doing it right yeah. that can detect at a global scale the effects in the global field environment of human emotions
0: yeah and
1: yeah so 25 years of history and the statistics on it are i won't give you p values but it's three trillion to one wow it's chance that this is a real finding
0: wow
1: uh, you know i'll just tell you a quick story if you, if you don't mind about yeah. it so the biggest criticism that gcp one, as we now lovingly call it has gotten is from the I'll call them the, the cynics skeptics and cynics are two different things. Yeah. I'm pretty skeptical myself of a lot of things, but yeah. Yeah. Is, well, no. You don't know the mechanism.
0: Right.
1: But therefore I don't trust it. I don't believe it. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, one of our, my chief uh, kind of scientists that works in our research group, not coming Stanford, he did his PhD at Stanford in uh, high temperature superconductors. Oh, cool. Yeah, he's a Stanford degree in computational physics, right? I mean, a pretty smart guy. That's why he works why we well, hired him. He's way smarter than me. Yeah. <laughs> he was pointing out the other day, he goes, he said, you know, we were having this discussion about mechanisms. So we are building in new things into these new devices to be able to hopefully answer that question in the future to get more insights into that. But he goes, you know, Roland, he said, My my specialty, where I got my dissertation in high-temperature superconductors, we don't have a clue what the mechanism is.
0: Um. Yeah.
1: It works, you know, and there's teams of scientists. It's the hottest thing in phys- in quantum physics right. right now is trying to understand right. this. You right. know, a lot of people, very high paid jobs, and they don't have a clue what the mechanism is. Mm-hmm. Nobody questions it. Right. Right. So, you see the logic? I mean, because we don't know the mechanism of something doesn't mean that it doesn't work because GCP data does work.
0: Right. Right. Um, right. But there's opportunity to evolve and understand them yeah every- well
1: absolutely just yeah. like we have to evolve to understand the mechanisms of uh, high temperature superconductivity
0: right uh, we also have right. to
1: understand what's the interface when you think about it it's really it can seem like magic but being uh, right. magic is that we just don't understand the mechanism yet that what is it about our emotions and our collective shared emotions that somehow is modulating in a measurable way at global scale the planetary field environment conscious skill yeah. environment as I, I like to think of that. it yeah, he does.
0: This has been, again, like a fascinating conversation. And I mean, you're a pioneer in this whole. So are you. So are you? Yeah, well, thank you. Well, I just I love to hear, you know, who you've learned from and how you've evolved their work and understanding and kept it going. And, you know, that's our goal, right? With a summit like this and a conversation is how do we continue to plant seeds and grow awareness you know so more and more you know sprouts of this conversation can continue to you know flourish among us and roland i i'd love to hear just in your as we're wrapping up just anything else that's left on your heart that you'd love to share with the audience
1: well, probably the main thing i've learned through many paths of practices, techniques, and so on, that at the end of the day, the best thing we can do, the, the, the straightest line path to our own health and growth is love more. Breathe love, proceed love, proceed everything we do with love. That brain naturally brings us into coherence, and then we're feeding the field and the global, our personal field and the global field is something that can help uplift and benefit all of humanity
0: beautiful message and again thank you for being my co-host and all your contribution to the summit
1: it is my honor to be your co-host
0: thank you Thank you so much for listening to the Spectrum of Health podcast. I hope you enjoyed my conversation today with Dr. McCrady and it inspired you to not only check out the summit, but also inspired a curiosity and really desire to connect with your own inner coherence and start seeing life through this lens. So please check out the link in the show notes and we're excited to see you at the summit. Have a beautiful day.